Welcome to Priority Message Series 1. This podcast is brought to you by the Fire and Rescue Services Association, a trade union within the Fire and Rescue Service that is independent and member-led. You can find out more about FRSA by visiting frsa.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the first official podcast from the Fire and Rescue Services Association. My name's Tristan Ashby. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the organisation. And with me today, I have Ben Redwood, a National Officer and part of the Executive Board. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tristan. Now, as this is the first podcast we're doing, what would you like to cover today? I think um, the issue of the moment is the pay offer that was recently tabled and I'm really keen to find out uh, the view from yourself and head office and uh, our current position on it. Okay absolutely no problem. So as we're recording today which is the 24th of February the current situation is we have an offer on the table from the employers of 7% backdated to the 1st of July 2022 and a further pay increase of 5% that would go live from the 1st of July 2023. But I think it probably would be helpful to give some background as to how we got to where we, we currently Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so the, there's a normal um, process with regards to uh, pay increases within the fire service comes under the NJC, the National Joint Council, um, which consists of employers, 14 representatives of uh, the employers and 14 employee representatives, currently the FBU. Now, normally there's a process whereby the employers would provide an offer, would table an offer. And that is not necessarily accepted immediately, which is why we find ourselves going through to round about October each year um, before the FBU agree to the original pay increase. And then that gets backdated to, to J- July uh, of that particular year. And, and probably going back to 2014, all the pay increases have been in line with public sector pay increases so there's not really much negotiation going on there okay this time round uh it was around about may time the employers offered two percent okay and this was obviously the ukraine war was was going on we started uh, to hear a lot about the cost of living crisis so quite quite rightly that offer was rejected there was a subsequent counter offer in october of 2022 of five percent that was subsequently rejected as well. Then we had a ballot for industrial action that was um, agreed and voted on by FBU members. And then there was a counter offer again that increased it from 5% to 7% for 2022-23. But some additional news this time, there was going to be a 5% rise in 23-24. So that's where we currently are. Okay, fantastic. So do we have information regarding how this is funded? Okay, so there's a a massive uh, vacuum of information with regards to this. The original 2% was funded. All the employers agreed that they could fund a 2% pay increase. Uh, 
When that was revised up to 5%, so an additional 3%, that was not funded. Um, so the fire and rescue service is made up of lots of different types of models. Uh, some are county, county councils, some are fire authorities, combined fire authorities, some have mayors, some have police, fire and crime commissioners. So they're all funded slightly different. Um, and in general, county brigades are the poor relation to combined fire authorities uh, and mayor um, fire authorities. So th th there's, there was a lot of rumblings that uh, a number of services couldn't afford the additional 3%. Yeah. Now, it, the government have allowed um, the councils to increase their preset, which is their tax yeah. for the fire service, up by the maximum, so up, up by £5 a year. Now, that, mm -hmm. that allegedly will cover that additional 3%. But what we don't know because we've now got a new offer of 7%, we don't know where that additional 2% is coming from. It's yes. definitely, definitely not coming from central government. So it can only come from within. It can only come from local fire authorities. Yes. And bearing in mind they've already increased or they're already looking to increase their preset by the maximum. Yes. Um, for, for And that maximum is for 2023-24, so not backdated. It, it means that, and the concerns we have, is that there's going to be cuts um, and that the savings made from those cuts are going to be used to pay for the additional pay increases. Yes, and likely to be the same for the pay increase 23-24. Well, that's, and that's why I made reference to it, because the, the precept increase covers 23-24. What it doesn't cover is the 5%, the additional 5% increase for this year. Yes. So that that precept was was to cover the previous years, twenty two, twenty three. What it didn't foresee was an additional increase of five percent. Obviously, you know, there has to be some caveats with this. We, we obviously welcome a pay rise absolutely. for our members, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. But we've got to be professional. We are a professional organisation. What we can't do is just clamber for pay increases when they could actually risk the jobs of our members at the same time. So they, they could risk closure of fire stations. Yeah. So we need to be professional. Yeah. We need to put a business case together with regards to a, a appropriate pay increase that's affordable and that is part of the bigger picture in terms of fire reform. Yes. Now, when we had the original offer of 5% back in October, we um, sought the views of our members via an online poll and that poll came back which is quite quite clear in terms of um, what our members thought uh, but there was three options there was accept the five percent pay increase there was reject the five percent pay increase and there was accept the five percent pay increase but with talks on fire reform that would include a new pay structure that would provide additional funding for more appropriate and funded pay increases. And from that, 64.3% voted for accepting the 5% pay offer with reform, mm -hmm. and 14.8% accepted the 5% pay offer, full stop. Yeah. So, you know, that's almost 80%. So it was a quite a clear mandate from our members as to what they were looking for. 
Because I, I believe I'm right in thinking that from your conversations uh, with the Fire Minister, that there is a logic that actually with broadening the role, a significant pay increase could be funded from central government. Now, am I right in thinking that? You're absolutely right. So we had a uh, meeting with the fire minister back in January. <clears throat> it was a joint meeting. It was um, with the fire officers association and the fire leaders association. So that meant you had three trade unions in the room with the fire minister that covered um, firefighters all the way through to chief fire officers. And we were all united in the view that reforms needed, reform of the national pay negotiation structure was needed because it currently clearly isn't working. Hence, we nearly had a national dispute um, yeah. within weeks. The funding formula needs to change. At the moment, we've got a funding formula that's created every year, so there's no long-term ambitions and strategic planning available. Yeah. Um, we also need to broaden the role of the firefighter. By doing that, uh, in collaboration with the Ambulance Service and the NHS, that will open up large funding opportunities. That will mean improved pay for our members, which will overcome recruitment and retention issues. So it's a win-win for everybody. But that needs to happen at the moment. We are still stumbling along with the same structure that we've had for decades. A structure that back in 2002 that had another independent review, said needed to change. And it's still pretty much exactly the same as what it was before. From, from my view um, is that if, if we can achieve this pay, this pay increase with funding from central government, then I think we'd be, we'd be crazy not to have those conversations. And I think there's a, an ethical dimension to this, is that the, what they're asking us to do is to consider broadening the role which would help the NHS, which is clearly an organisation that is in, in dire straits. And and let's be clear that lives can be saved and it, it will also reduce the financial burden of the NHS um, by potentially um, helping uninjured fallers before they become very unwell people because they've been on the floor for 24 hours. Um, attending cardiac arrest, which which we know has, has proven is, is it could have a huge cost saving to the NHS. Um and also, I, in my view, it will sustain fire cover in rural areas, which I think will now be under threat because there'll be a, a large pot of savings that needs, needs to be found from somewhere. D does that to you sound like a fair um, assessment? I, I, I totally agree with you, Ben, because at the moment, the, the, the remit of the fire service is so narrow, those oh. funding streams are also narrow. Yeah. Call levels have gone down considerably over a period uh -huh. of time. There might be some argument that they're now slightly uh, on, on a more upward upward curve. But unless we broaden the role of the fire and rescue service, you're not going to be able to broaden the funding streams that are coming in. So you're working within very tight parameters. Yeah. That That's not sustainable in 2023. You know, other organisations are having to change. The fire service within the national negotiation machinery seems hell-bent on keeping everything exactly as it is. Absolutely. Even if it's at the expense of firefighters and their jobs, that, that, that's not acceptable anymore, if it ever was. Yeah, yeah. Um, a frustration of mine, which I've mentioned to you, is that when this pay offer came out, not being an, an FBU member, 
and I, f- I fully accept that the NJC wants to negotiate with the, the, the biggest voice within the fire sector. However, I think the information contained within that pay offer was, is very relevant to everyone in the, pay, in, the, in the fire sector. And all we can find out is the information that's come via the FBU. And so um, it has a natural spin on it. And, and I know that when you, am I right in thinking that you went to some quite extensive efforts to c- clarify some elements of the pay offer? Well, I, when the pay offer came out, um, it's, you're quite right, it's, there's limited information out there. And that, that's been the case, and another problem with the NJC, it's cloaked in secrecy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're, we're made aware of a, an addition offer where it's 7% of five. So straight away, I'm getting uh, requests from members saying, well, where's that money coming from? What does it mean for us? Because people were putting two and two together and thinking, are we going to have to find that money internally? And if so, am I going to lose my job? Is my job secure? Mm -hmm. So I I contacted the Home Office to to clarify, because you know what the fire service is like? There's various rumours going left, right and centre as to where the money's coming from. And they were categorical and, and come back pretty much as I expected. There is no additional money coming from the government because the government have been quite clear and i'm not defending the government on this but they've been quite clear um they want reform Mm -hmm. and if reform is is welcomed and reform happens in the fire and rescue service there will be additional money that will act as a sweetener to to make those necessary changes that we've seen it you know over over many years in other industries with reform comes additional money and we we need to be doing that sooner rather than later before people do start to lose their jobs and of a concern of mine you know like yourself believing that reform is absolutely um an absolute essential part of, of the sector moving forward um is less let's agree that the FBU have, have not been proactive and, and in, with engaging with reform. And and now the, the payoff is there. It's, I don't think this is going to do anything to help reform happen now. Um, it, there was, there's carrot and stick, and unfortunately I think the carrot's been given away now, isn't it? You, and, you, are, you are spot on because it, with, with that additional, and this, this is, again, this is um, part of what the NJC does. Um, it will... Go so far until it's forced. It's not. It's not a, a, an innovative body. It waits to be forced into action. So it was forced into action to provide this additional pay of seven percent and five percent, and that will starve off um, any future talks of fire reform for an, for another period. It'll be kicked into the long grass, even you know even more, and that's not acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable, and I personally don't think it's ethical. And we've heard a, a lot of conversation recently, haven't we, about ethics and the NG, uh, NFCC are pushing the ethical framework. Um, it feels to me like there's a conversation that needs to be had at a very high level within the fire sector. Well, we've been having those conversations for a long period of time um, uh-huh. w- with regards to the employers uh, and certainly the Home Office. But there, there was something else I wanted to, to bring up with you, Ben, that um, I think is really important to this discussion. Uh, in, when making preparations for this, um, I, I was reminded, because going back to the whole secrecy of the NJC, I'm, we're fortunate as an organisation in that we have access to employers' circulars 
and NJC oh. circulars. They are not publicly available, but as part of our agreement with the employers, we, we get access to those. So I was then going through these, and they, they go back to 1999. But one of the interesting ones goes back to uh, 2015, July 2015. So we're talking almost eight years ago when they were talking about broadening the role. Okay. And they had some, some various work streams that were put in place covering a number of areas. And at the time, it was definitely welcomed by, by us. And we thought we were actually going to get somewhere. Then fast forward, and I've got the document in front of me, fast forward to July 2019. Uh, and it's again, it's an NJC circular 2 stroke 19 that says, therefore, the NJC has agreed to pause the national broadening of the role negotiations at this time. And both sides are still committed to the principles of broadening the role. Well, they're all fine words, but that was another four years ago. Mm -hmm. Nothing's happened. No. There was, sorry to labour the point, but again, referring to these documents, there was an offer uh, four months before. So I'm looking at a document from March 2019. There was an offer made by the employers that um, had a number of areas where the role would be broadened. So they would be included in slip trips and falls and corresponding and various various elements that I think broadly we, sh we should welcome. With it come a pay increase. Overall, a 13.57%. Okay. So there was a 2% increase in July 2019, 3% in April 2020, 4% in July 2020, and 4% in July 2021. That's before the pay offers that we've now got due to the cost of living crisis. So when, when the FBU write, and again, I've got copies of these, and it's, it's pretty much cut, copy and paste from what I've read. When the FBU write to the national employers saying that firefighters' pay is approximately using CPI as a measure of inflation, a competent firefighter needs an increase of more than £4,000, then I'd argue it would probably be at the correct level now if broadening of the role was agreed to in 2019 yeah and i think it's also useful to consider the scottish pay offer isn't it because i think that that adds a a, a real important element of context to this conversation there are huge similarities between what i've just read out and and the, and the scottish situation so again that was fully funded by the scottish government uh -huh. um and, and again unfortunately while the offer was on the table yeah, can we just clarify can we just clarify what that offer was so the offer was, was very, very similar in terms of broadening of the role. Uh, it yep. concentrated on um, slip trips and falls and co-responding. Yep. And the pay increase was that there were lots of talks about various percentages, but I, I would probably be a bit more conservative and say it was around about 13, 14% pay increase. Okay. Okay. And, I, and I would, I would also from, from various conversations I've had with members and non-members in Scotland over the last 12 months, I would I would say that they are regretting n not having that offer accepted at the time. Yeah. I, th I think it's worth just very quickly clarifying the conversation about uh, what you call slips, trips and falls. Um, so, uh, so it's the conversation about 
uh, people who've fallen in the house in their home and are unable to get up and uh, and have, have been classed as uninjured fallers by the nhs so very very low on the priority list for a, an ambulance or support and are then likely to to remain in the situation they are in the situation they are i.e on the floor for excessive periods of time probably over 12 hours even up to 24 hours by which point they become very unwell people who then require an extended hospital care and and that's a request that's been made of the fire sector because we have the, the skills and the tools to make entry, which is often part of that, to make entry into the building. And also, if necessary, to, to lift and use equipment to lift to help them. And also some, some of our casualty care skills to make, to make assessments and overviews. And, and, and the key part of that is that that, that takes work, reduces the workload on paramedics and also saves um, costs on the NHS, which are pretty staggering from people who at the time of call aren't necessarily ill, who then end up in hospital with, with illnesses and injuries because of their, their stay on the floor. Um, and I think it's absolutely right that we should be having conversations about doing that, eth- ethically right, apart from anything else. I think it's ethically right. I think it's morally right, and and I would I'm struggling to understand why those offers of expanding into that role are being rejected. Because if we're going to say, well, we're firefighters, therefore we go and cut people out of cars, and um, you know we, we respond to to house fires, etc. But the times have changed. You know, we're here to help people, aren't we? We're here to save life. And if we're not responding to the level of calls that we were responding to before, and we, if we do have the capacity to respond, then it's certainly not a resource issue and it can't be a training issue because what you've just described in terms of slip trips and falls is not complicated. It's not complicated at all. So why are we not doing it? Why are we, sorry, why are we really not doing it? <laughs> that's the question. And, and that's the, that's what, I would like everyone listening to this pod to ask themselves, why are we really, really not doing it? And I agree. And what I would like to do personally is to bounce that question ahead to the NFCCC, who are pushing for the ethical dimensions within the fire sector to become front and centre and for all of us to ask ourselves how well and how effectively we're serving our communities. And for me, this is a question at a very high level that needs to be asked. It is. And it, and it is being, um, you know, again, sorry to labour the point, but by broadening the role, by going into all those areas that you've spoken about, <clears throat> we are able to recruit from a much wider pool. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about female, potentially female firefighters who would find the fire service more attractive than what it currently is. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of those stations that are on call levels, on call stations that, you know, some of which are doing 30, 40 calls a year that would welcome the opportunity to go and be part of their community and save lives. That would significantly help recruitment and retention. Significantly. Absolutely. It would, um, I would also, I believe it, sorry, I also genuinely believe it would also help with the culture because you would bring in different types of people from different walks of life because the fire service would be that much more attractive. Absolutely. And having personally been involved in my service around three years ago with a, an efficiencies programme where stations 
um, were individually scrutinized for their activity levels, their cost and what they contribute to their communities. Unless we have an injection of, of activity into those stations, there will be closures. And so we have two opportunities. We can either broaden the role and help stations serve their communities more effectively and, and save lives, because that's what it's about. It's about saving lives, or we will see those stations closed. And and I imagine that in 12 months' time, Tristan, we can review this podcast. And I think that certainly where I am in, in the southwest, we will have seen stations closed. Absolutely. And once they're gone, that's it. They're gone. They're not going to be reopened again. And we have got to fight for those stations to remain open. Absolutely. Um, and we won't stop fighting either because we're, we're a broad church. We're, um, you know, we've got members now across a whole range of duty systems from a whole range of fire and rescue services. We're now having uh, members join from Merseyside. You know, we've got members in London now. We are a broad church. Um, and we've got, we've got a diversion, diversity of thought with regards to the membership that we, we speak to. And we know that, Again, you know, the vast majority want this change to happen and are frustrated that it's not. That's right. It's a huge source of frustration to me because at the end of the day, we're there to provide a service. And at the forefront of that is we're there to save lives. And we're based on a business model that we are going to go into a burning building, pull someone out from the, you know, from the clutches of death and save their lives. And that's our business model. And we, and that is, it's being achieved, but it's not very often, is it, if we're perfectly honest. And yet we seem to be, frankly, quite happy to sit and know that within our communities, X number of people are going to die of cardiac arrests and, and, and other medical emergencies, and that we see we have no part to play in doing anything of that. And I just find it, it feels hopelessly inadequate at the moment to me. Yeah, and just on, on that point, we obviously had the corresponding trials going back a number of years ago. And the feedback we received from those was that people who took part of them hadn't hadn't previously co-responded before wanted the trials to continue. They could see the benefit of them both to their role as a firefighter, but more importantly to the public. Brilliant. I think it's it's worth before we finish stressing how much we we believe firefighters should get paid more. Um, it's a highly skilled and dangerous job, and absolutely fully support a pay increase. We just have our concerns about how that money's come from, and, and to stress the point that there are other ways of achieving this pay increase. And going back to what, what I've uh, quoted from the various um, NJC documents, those pay increases have been on the table and rejected, and I don't think most firefighters realise that. I think we're we're all cut, caught up in the moment with regards to the cost of living crisis, uh, with regards to what's going on in Ukraine. And we need to take a step back and look to how we got where we are. Because I would argue now that um, in broad terms, and obviously it depends where you are in, in part of the, of the country, but the whole time firefighter rate isn't a particularly attractive salary anymore. No. Um, I mean, you can go to Tesco's and, you know, work beyond a counter and, and be earning a wage not far off that. That demonstrates a failure of the national negotiation machinery, and that's why it needs to change. Um, 
FOA did a piece of work on this and they compared the police independent panel negotiation uh, model compared with the fire model. Okay. Police were 0.5% higher between 2024 and 2021. I've often wondered whether there is a a government incentive to ensure that organisations that don't strike or are highly unlikely to strike, that their pay should, wherever possible, remain higher than organisations that strike. That's just a personal suspicion of mine. There might be some truth in that. But anyway, it's been fantastic uh, to speak with you, Ben. Hopefully the listener's been informed. Good. Um, We're going to do a number of these podcasts in the future. There'll be details on how to contact the show. Uh, You can email priorritymessage at frsa.org.uk. Let us know what you thought of this first episode. Let us know what you would like contained in future episodes. We are a member-led organisation. We want to know what you think. Well, thank you very much for your time, Tristan, today. Thank you for answering my questions. And I look forward to, to wherever we go next. Fantastic. A pleasure, Ben. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode of Priority Message, why not subscribe to the podcast and recommend to your colleagues? We hope you will be joining us again soon. Thank you.